Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us today for a fantastic episode. We continue our position group rankings pods today with Big 12 linebackers. Really enjoyed this one. I find the linebacker position a very interesting position in college football, and I loved our guests today. Patrick Kahn of Sooners Wire, Joe Broback of Sixth Year Sports, joining us today to break down our rankings of Big 12 linebacking groups. You won't be shocked by number one. Everyone doesn't have the same number 10, and it's all a good mix in the middle. So that is coming up here in just a few minutes. A few things to get to before we talk to Joe and Patrick. I am not a legal expert. I do not do this for a living, so I have not had the time to sit and read every single thing possible about the Supreme Court's 9-0 decision in the case against the NCAA. But I would be remiss if I didn't offer a few nuggets. In case I'm the only sports show you listen to, which would be insane and nuts and crazy, and well, thank you, um, that's awesome. I, I wouldn't suggest it, but hey, at least you listen, and I love it. Here's the thing, because I've had some friends text me because I'm their go-to on some of this stuff. This is not the death of amateurism. It's not the death to the NCAA. The ruling, the ruling, what was actually decided upon by the Supreme Court has nothing to do with NIL or players getting paid. This was purely and simply, at its core, about educational spending. That the NCAA cannot hard cap what schools can spend as far as education on athletes. This has to do with spending on things like laptops, and uh, study abroad, and and postgraduate internships, things like that. But where this really matters is what Justice Kavanaugh wrote. He essentially invited other lawsuits. The NCAA is not dead. Amateurism is not dead. But folks, the buzzards, they've, they've caught a scent. They're, they're starting to make their plans. They're not hovering yet, but they're not too far off from, from taking flight and heading toward this thing we call amateurism in NCAA. Brett Kavanaugh and what he wrote has basically said what the NCAA does is wrong. And that if other people were to bring up lawsuits before the Supreme Court around the NCAA's entire amateurism model, that they would probably lose the NCAA, that is. So this is far from over. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of this story. Lots of things are going to change over the next few years, and I think a lot of them are probably going to be for the better. They're not all going to be perfect. Um, They're going to change some things about college football that some of us might not like, some of you might not like. But at the end of the day, we're going to watch the sport. We're going to co- watch college athletics. We're going to root for our the players on our teams and in our conferences and the guys that we like and the women that we like. We're going to love collegiate softball and baseball and soccer and football and basketball, men's and women's, all of it. We're going to love it. We're going to watch it. It's going to be okay. Now, if you want a better understanding and explanation of some of this stuff, there are a few podcasts I would suggest you go and listen to. 
Uh, first up would be the Cover 3 Podcast emergency episode for Monday. I think Bud Elliott and Chip Patterson do a really good job of kind of summing up what happened in a very short podcast, a nice emergency pod. Uh, Split Zone Duo put out their latest episode on Tuesday. I would suggest you go and listen to that one. And I would listen to pretty much anything that Going for Two, the podcast that is created in part by the Extra Points newsletter, puts out here this week and probably next week as well. So, Split Zone Duo, Cover 3 Podcast, Going for Two. There's lots of podcasts covering this. Those would be my go-tos if you're, if you're looking for a show or two or three to help you better understand this from people who are going to do a better job of explaining it, what happened and the impact from it in a longer format. Those are the three shows I would go listen to. All right, so let's get back to Big 12-specific topics here real quick. I'm so excited. You have to understand, scheduling news is Christmas morning for me. Every time. Someone, a, a, a Big 12 team puts out a, a schedule announcement, I'm psyched. When Oklahoma State puts out a new schedule or announces a football opponent or puts out on their men's basketball. Men's basketball schedule announcement is my favorite thing of the year. I am weirdly obsessed with it. Weirdly, weirdly obsessed with it. So I was super excited on Wednesday when what gets put out, but the matchups for this year's Big 12 SEC Challenge. All 10 Big 12 teams, 10 SEC teams matched up the last Saturday of January with Conference Pride on the line and in a, pretty much as it's been every year, some opportunities for some marquee wins that can do, do the Big 12 some good. I'm going to run down these lists, but I'm, I want to kind of do this in specifically in order where these are the ones I am most excited about. Now, here's the thing. I kind of was about the Big 12 Big East matchups. These are more even across the board, and I am psyched for these. Number one is the easiest one of them all, Kentucky at Kansas. It's always wild to me when when Kentucky and Kansas don't play in this. Um, it was supposed to be Texas-Kentucky last year. Obviously, COVID wrecked that. Kentucky at Kansas. That is, oh boy, yeah. Yeah. I don't care how off Kansas and Kentucky were last year when these two teams meet it is must see TV after that Tennessee at Texas now the Big East and the Big 12 avoided Shaka coming to Austin or, or or Texas going to face Marquette and facing Shaka Smart but they did us one as almost as good Rick Barnes headed back to Texas for the first time since he left I believe I think that's right Tennessee at Texas it's two good teams two interesting programs the Rick Barnes angle, that is that is the second best. That is exciting. Uh, sneaky good. West Virginia is going to Arkansas. Arkansas was pretty good last year. I think they're going to be good this year as well. I, I, I feel very confident that Arkansas will be a top 25 team for most of the season. You know who else will probably be a top 25 team for most of the season? West Virginia. That is a good matchup. Now, West Virginia hasn't done a best job in this Big 12 SEC matchup most years. They just haven't. But I love this matchup. Then Baylor is going to Alabama. Baylor's still going to be with good folks, and Alabama was good last year, and they're going to be good this year. These That's four really good matchups between four good SEC teams and four good Big 12 teams. That's what we look for. That's what we want. Oklahoma State is headed to Florida. That's two pretty evenly matched programs to me. I think that's a great game. Throw in the fact that Oklahoma State assistant Eric Pastrana just left to become an assistant coach at Florida, and you throw in a, a very personal connection there between these two teams that just happened not a month ago. Oklahoma and Auburn, really interesting. Mississippi State at Texas Tech, ooh, I like that. Missouri at Iowa State, um, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty, I don't think Missouri is great. Iowa State, obviously, uh, first-year head coach with Otzelberger. That could be an interesting game. Uh, LSU is going to TCU. Uh, um, that one feels like uh, going in SEC's favor, but, but we'll see. And then Kansas State traveling to Ole Miss. Okay. There's three kind of eh ones for me. Seven that I am excited about. Did I say Oklahoma at Auburn? Did I forget Oklahoma at Auburn? That's a fun matchup. That's an intriguing matchup. I like that game. There are seven games on here that I'm like, sign me up all day. Put up, I need two or three monitors. I need to be watching all day. I cannot wait. Cannot wait. I live in Arkansas, folks. There's a very good chance. I feel like I might have to go to that West Virginia game at Arkansas. I'm about to see if I can get some tickets to that. That intrigues the crap out of me. So that's that's, that's 10 fantastic matchups to look forward to in January. I am excited about it. I think you guys can be excited about it. Uh, let me know which one is your favorite. Let me know. I'm intrigued. I'll put a poll out. I can't put a poll with 10 options. Just let me know. Hit us up on Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E in the number 12, the word podcast. Uh, you can hit us up on Instagram if you want at 1012pod. We're putting some audio and some exclusive stuff there. 
Uh, let me know. Which matchup are you most excited about? I want to know. Should I go to West Virginia at Kansas? I think I probably should. Should I go to West Virginia and Arkansas? I think I should. Speaking of going somewhere, I am very excited. Wednesday, it's official. We got our credentials approved for Big 12 Media Days. So the 10-12 podcast is going back to the Big 12 Media Days. We were there in 2019. Obviously, there was not an in-person Big 12 Media Days in 2020, so we didn't really get to participate. We were headed to Arlington uh, in July for two days in Jerry World partake in Big 12 Media Days, and I'm very excited. We will have podcasts for you from Arlington, from inside the stadium, two straight days of them. Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, Christine Butterfield, our good friend here, uh, occasional guest on the podcast, is going to join me as my my fill-in co-host because Andy and Jamie can't make it. Chris can't make it. So Christine has uh, is going to fill in and be my co-host for the, for those those two days. I'm very excited to have Christine. I uh, love having her here on the show. Love having her as part of the 1012. So very excited for that. So I am excited for that. I, think, I hope you guys are. I hope you guys are excited about uh, what we'll be able to bring you from Big 12 Media Days. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to be able to get there. I can't wait to see what players are going to be there. I really hope Texas Tech brings brings Tyler Shuck. I really hope they do. I'm, I'm excited. I hope Malcolm Rodriguez is there for Oklahoma State. Um, gosh, Rattler for OU. Oh, man. Uh, oof. Oof. I just, I just don't know. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm pumped. I am. So, uh before we get to our interview, one last quick thing. Homefield Apparel, official sponsor of the 1012 Podcast, the longest running sponsor of the 1012 Podcast. And and look, I love them because they sponsor the show, but I will love them if and when they ever stop sponsoring the show. Because nobody puts out better, more comfortable, vintage college sports apparel than Homefield Apparel does, especially for the Big 12. Recently added Texas. Very excited about that addition. Big new Saturday last week. AM's coming, guys. I hope you guys did the numbers to beat AM. There's another Big 12 team coming. I'm very excited about it. They also have Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Iowa State. I'm curious what you guys think. Which one is the best Texas schools gear? Texas Tech, Texas, or Baylor? They don't have TCU yet. Quit screwing around, TCU. Quit screwing around. All you schools who aren't on here, quit screwing around. Even the one who's not on there yet. You took you took too long. All of you. Come on. Oklahoma. West Virginia, Kansas State, Kansas. Let's go. Let's go. All that aside, even if those aren't, even if you want more than that, Michigan State, Michigan, Georgia Southern, Hofstra, UMass, Bowling Green, Houston, Houston Baptist, Ohio, they have more than 100 schools. Big New Saturday Season 2 has been just bangers so far. I mean, think about it. Notre Dame, LSU, Texas, Texas A&M, and they've got more of that caliber coming. It is nothing but hits. It is the kind of album where you're like, there wasn't a song on there I didn't like. There's nothing but bangers. Bangers, bangers, bangers. That's a word I will overuse because I love it. Homefieldapparel.com. If you haven't bought anything there yet, then bless you. This is this is good news for you. Because you can use the promo code 1012, T-E-N-1-2, and get 20% off your first order. It doesn't matter if you're a Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Texas, Baylor, Iowa State, a fan of another school, use the promo code 1012. 20% off your first order. Don't forget, all orders of $70 or more get free shipping. Be rocking the most comfortable, most awesome vintage college sports apparel there is when your team takes the field, court, pitch, mound, whatever. All right, do us a favor, leave us a rating and review. Five stars, please. Uh, if you leave us a review, we will read it on the pod. And I mean that because guess what? I'm about to do that right now, right here. We actually get two new reviews. First up, Bizzle41 wrote, Always a great listen. Five stars. Been a long-time listener of the 1012 podcast. Finally felt guilty for not leaving a review earlier. I started listening to the pod for the OSU content, but this show has really broadened my horizon so much that I almost feel invested in other schools across the conference. Like I have sometimes felt myself silently rooting for Iowa State. My 2011 self hates me for that, by the way. I know the feeling, man. I know the feeling. Love the content of the other sports that don't get a ton of coverage. Your show chemistry with guests is phenomenal, which can't be easy to do. You guys are killing it. Bizzle41, you demand. We also got one from Sooner Fan OK. Sooner underscore fan underscore OK. Love this show. Y'all rock listening to y'all every Monday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Guys, thank you very much. I appreciate it. These are some great reviews. That's our these are our, that's our second and third review for 2021. Uh actually, no, that's not true. Those are our third and fourth review for 2021. Props to everybody who's left us a review and a rating this year. Do us a favor. 
Leave us another. Leave us some more. I will read them here on the show. Love these. Love them. Love you guys. You guys are awesome. I appreciate it. Uh, One quick heads up. Uh, It's almost July. We're going to be down to one episode a week in July, except for Big 12 Media Days, and we'll have have two while we're there. But one episode a week during July, the rest of the time we're going to take kind of Take a little bit of a break, cut back just a little bit. We'll have great content for you, so don't worry. Um, speaking of great content, Patrick Kahn of Sooners Wire, Joe Bobeck of Sixth Year Sports, coming up on the pod, Big 12 linebacker rankings. Let's get to it. Hey, everyone. This is Brady Trantham. I'm Keegan Renault, and, and we, we run, run the Inside, Inside OU, OU podcast. podcast. Ever wonder what Lincoln Riley is up to? Ever wonder what a leak route is? What inexplicable loss did the Sooners suffer this time? We cover that and more on the Inside OU Podcast. Every week, we drop a new episode on Thursday during the offseason. During the season, we bump it up to two times a week. If that isn't enough for you, feel free to follow our Patreon page at Through the Keyhole for more in-depth Sooner and college football coverage. Beat the rush, follow along on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Boomer! All right, we are continuing our position group rankings for the Big 12 um, as, as we do this in the offseason. This is our third one. We're talking linebackers today. Obviously, we've done defensive line and offensive line. Uh, linebackers today, we'll have a few more that we will do throughout the summer. Very excited to have two fantastic guests here to help break down who's got the best linebacking group and who has the worst in the Big 12 this year. Uh, very excited to have first-time guest Patrick Kahn of Sooners Wire joining the show. Patrick, welcome to the 1012, sir. I appreciate it. I'm glad I get to talk some football and not uh, worry about softball anymore. That's over. Championship's done. I was like, all right, let's get back into football mode. So I'm excited about that. I mean, it's cool. I love softball. I, you know, it was an exciting time, but it is over. Uh, Texas is the only Big 12 team left in baseball. So, yeah, I think most of our attention now has been has been shifted back over to football with just like six teams in the College World Series left. So, I mean, kind of pay attention in the periphery. Uh, joining Patrick and myself, our good friend Joe Broback, back on the podcast again for another ranking. Joe, welcome back, sir. Hey, thanks for having me back. You were so good last time. We just were like, let's just keep, let's just bring Joe back again. <laughs> we, we know I he's appreciate en- we that. Know he's enjoyable. We know he's enjoyable. Okay, guys. Um, so before we get started, just some caveats for people listening. Um, you're going to read a lot of different articles throughout the summer and about the year about position group rankings and individual players in position groups and where they're ranked from Sports Illustrated and Athlon and Phil Steele and PFF. There's a couple of, of things we want to talk about with linebacker. One of them is this is, I think one of the more interesting ones to do because there's some, I think sometimes some confusion on, on, on who is a linebacker and who's not. Um, we've seen, for instance, Nick Benito from Oklahoma listed as a linebacker. Technically, he's a defensive end, but I don't. It, I, I think we treat him as, as a defensive end. We talked to our good friend Keegan Renault about that, and he said he was a defensive end. I think OU treats him as such. I think he's considered some, but every once in a while, you'll see somebody list him as a linebacker. Same thing for J, uh, Jalen Petre. If I'm saying that wrong, I'm sorry. At a Baylor, um, technically, he's a safety, not a linebacker. So if you're wondering where those guys are, uh, Benito was back in the defensive line ranking. Uh, if we do a safety's ranking, Petre will be there. But you, the three of us were kind of chatting before we got started. This is a position group where there's some ambiguity on on some of this. You may, because this feels like, linebacker feels like the most, like, in using foot, basketball as a metaphor, positionless player kind of position group where guys are doing a lot of different things. Sometimes they're playing more defensive end. Sometimes they're playing more of a linebacker. Sometimes they're kind of a safety linebacker hybrid. So it is an, it is an interesting position group to me. I, I'm curious what you guys think as far as linebacker in the Big 12 and just in modern, college, in, in modern football. I think when you look at it, uh, you know, most defenses, and we, we know that at the NFL level, we know at the college level, traditionally are running like these four two fives because of how spread out these offenses are. So they need these linebackers to be kind of a hybrid, like you said, where you're playing uh, coverage, you're, you're rushing or you're, you know, you're, you're jumping in the middle behind the defensive tackles. And I, I think you're right. Like uh, Nick Benito is a guy who I cover extensively. Yeah. He is what they called a, a rush linebacker, but he's really a defensive end. Uh, you know, I think when you look at teams like Iowa state, for instance, I think they're probably the only team I can think of that run a traditional three linebacker set, but that's because they take one of their defensive linemen off the field, but it works for them. 
you know, so I, but I think they have to be multiple. Um, and I think Joe's going to agree with that. There's a lot of defense out here where you do have to be multiple. You have to play different things. You may, you may look like a three, three defense, but really you're running a four, two with a guy who can drop back or, you know, go into the backfield uh, in that kind of like that Jack or Leo role, depending on whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I agree. I think that, that because offenses have evolved so much and really the rules are kind of headed more in their favor, the defenses have to be multiple, like Patrick said. Uh, linebackers are kind of that in between the front line and the, the back uh, secondary. So they kind of have to be versatile with their skill set because on one play they could be going against a guard that's 330 pounds and then the next play they got to bump outside and cover the slot. So, uh, you know, I think that it's very tough to identify, like we said, who a linebacker actually is just because there's not really a traditional linebacker anymore because of the things that they have to do. There's just so many responsibilities that they're tasked with. Uh, so I think defensive corners put a lot on their shoulders and it's almost like they have to be a defensive end and a defensive back all at the same time with everything that's going on offensively. Yeah. All right. It is an interesting position group. I think that's why you see so many guys move around into you know, defensive ends, play linebacker. You see safeties play linebacker. You see linebackers move in and around. It's a really interesting position group to me. It's kind of a, it's kind of a fun one. It's why it's one of the ones I'm really glad that we're doing here today because obviously everyone has some have teams have three, some have two that they keep on the field. And that, that affects the rankings, I think in some cases here. So why don't we just get underway? Uh, Patrick, since you're our, our, our first timer here today, why don't we let you uh, start things off? Who do you have as the best linebacking group in the Big 12? Well, I think you really can't go any other way, depending on you know how you look at it, is Iowa State. Yeah, you got Mike Rose, the returning Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, you got Orion Vance. You got Jay Hommel. And behind them, Eric Horn, Jerry Vaughn, Deshaun Davis. Uh, they're a very stout defensive team. Um, and they are a team that gives people a lot of headaches uh, because of what they do on the defensive side of the ball. And I think it has a lot to do with what they get out of Mike Rose, who's kind of been that de facto leader at the second level. So when I looked at the rankings, uh, when you first approached me and said, hey, what, how would you rank these? It started with Iowa State, and then it was like, okay, fill in the rest. Uh, because to me, once Mike Rose said that he was coming back, uh, that to me said that is the best linebacking group uh, in the Big 12, and it's kind of everybody else trying to catch up to them. Yeah, I agree. I have Iowa State in one, two. Uh, I, I agree. Mike Rose is just so good, and like the, every year so far, he's improved on his stats, and that's including the staff asking him to do a lot of different things. So when he started his career at Iowa State, he was more in the middle, kind of in the trenches, and then they asked him to be a weak side linebacker to move outside. And it doesn't really seem to phase him. He's just that good. Um, I would argue that Iowa State has maybe outside of Alabama, the best linebacker core in college football. Um, I think they're just that good. They might not be as talented as some of these other teams, but the fact that they have the right guys in, in this system with Rose, you know, Ryan Vance and Jay Cummel, I think that that trio is just so good at what they do and they're in the right system. They have, uh, they're good fits for what they do and what the coaching staff asks them to do. So I, I, I agree. It's just really hard to see anybody else above them right now. Yeah, I agree. You know, we talked a lot on the offensive line ranking about the difference between, you know, having some of the best guys and having a situation where the hole is greater than the mean. And I think Iowa state almost has the best of both worlds. You have, arguably the best linebacker, one of the best defensive players in the Big 12, and Mike Rose. And then you have all these other guys who, they may not be the best, but they're good and they fit that system. Well, you guys have talked about Hummel and Rose, of course, uh, and 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 Vance. These guys are, are, are all good. They all have, have been in some sort of ranking either after postseason from last year or heading into this year. I mean, Rose is the first team across everything that I can find. Uh, Orion Vance, I think Athlon had him as third team. Uh, Jake Hummel was, I believe, according to PFF, like one of the best returning. Uh, I think Vance was as well. It's just, it's a deep and very talented. And I think this is one of those situations where they are number one. And I think there's some other ones that are close, but they, they are a, an easy and dominant number one. And then I think we start getting interesting from two, three, four, and all, and all the rest of the way. Yeah, I think when you start talking about number two is where my number two could be different 
uh, than Joe's, than yours, but nobody could be wrong because I think those two through four are pretty interchangeable hmm. uh, depending on how you look at it. Uh, going into number two, uh, I had Oklahoma there. And why? Because of David Aguebu, because of Brian Osamoa. Uh, then you look at some of the guys behind him, Caleb Kelly, uh, Deshaun White. They got a very stout team uh, of guys on the linebacking. And I kind of look at Aguebu as the, my breakout candidate. Uh, Big 12. I think all defensively, I think he has all the tools. Can he put it all together? But considering who he has playing around him, I think he has that opportunity. So that's why when I looked at some of these other linebacker groups, I kind of felt like the potential there for Oklahoma was too great for me not to put them right under Iowa State for the best linebacker groups in the Big 12. Yeah, I have Oklahoma number two as well. Uh, I think that one thing that I'm concerned about is can they reach that potential? I agree that their potential has is really, really high. You know, there's a lot of high ceiling guys, um, but can, you know, like can Caleb Kelly stay healthy? Yeah. Uh, I really hope so. Cause he's really fun to watch when he is healthy, but obviously injuries have plagued his career the last couple of years. And that's kind of a bummer. Um, I really like Deshaun white. I, I think he's a hard hitter that can make some impact plays um, just by hitting a guy super hard he may not make the most tackles but he can definitely send a message uh, so I agree I agree with Patrick that the the ceiling for them is just really high it's just a matter of can they reach that or not this is going to be like all the other ones my guests are all going to agree and I'm going to be the one with the weird outliers but that's okay um I have Oklahoma coming up here in just a minute but at number two I actually have Texas Tech and this is very much a situation of the, the the whole over the sum of the parts. I think this is a a good and talented with uh, solid players across the board. I think Colin Schooler is going to be something we're going to see where a lot of guys who transferred into teams last year with COVID going on never quite reached their potential. I think he's a guy who's underrated and is going to be even better this year after a full year with Texas Tech. Um, PFF had him as the third best linebacker in the Big 12 last season. Like, I think he's really good. I think you get a ton of super seniors back. Rico Jeffers, jo- Jacob Morgenstern. Um, you get three other seniors in Creshawn Merriweather and, uh, and Eldridge and Randall. Like, these these six guys, like, combined, have 85 SP- FBS starts in their two deep. I think this is a, a very good linebacking core. I think it's a linebacking core where you can keep guys fresh coming in on a pretty constant basis and stay good. The only the concern for me to protect Texas Tech's linebacking core, if I take them out and set them as an individual unit, I think they're really good. I think they have incredible depth and experience. I think they're going to be very good. The only thing that will hold them back this season is basically the rest of the defense. I'm afraid so much pressure is going to be put on the linebacking core to do so much because I don't believe in the defensive line all that much. I'm not sure what you're going to get out of the secondary with what they've lost. I'm afraid so much is going to be put on this linebacking core that it, it might look worse at times than it actually is, but because everyone else isn't doing their part. But as just a, a unit itself, I think Texas Tech is so experienced and has enough guys in there that you feel comfortable, especially early in the season when they have got to win games if they're going to keep Matt Wells in his job. I think this is a really good linebacking core. And I, I do. I'll say this. Schooler. I think he is... I think he's going to be the surprise linebacker in the Big 12 this year. You know, I can I can buy into what you're saying about Texas Tech. I'm a little bit lower on them because kind of like you said, I looked at the team and looked at the players, and it's like if I agree with you. I think Colin Schooler is the best of that linebacking group. My whole thing was looking at them individually. Uh, do I think that they can hold up with some of these other schools like in Oklahoma State's Malcolm Rodriguez? Like how, how do I rank them compared to some of these others? And because Oklahoma State's been – so much better on defense that's why I like them better than Texas Tech and it was probably not a fair way to look at it just because when you look at Texas Tech defense is the last thing that you're talking about uh, because let's be honest they haven't had a good defense since Mike Leach left uh, you know we saw some of the defensive opportunities that they put together but when I look at them that's why I have other teams higher but I agree with you, what you're saying with Texas Tech, and you're right. When you look at the pass rush, when you look at their secondary, it's going to be bad. And if they can't score points like they didn't score points last season, it's going to be atrocious, and Matt Wells is going to be uh, on the chopping block real quick. Yeah, I've been saying that Texas Tech uh, took, you know, they took a step forward in, in on the defensive side of the ball. It might not have been a huge step, but 
it definitely was a step forward, but they unfortunately took like three giant steps backward offensively. And that's not exactly a winning combination. Um, Phil, I agree with you that I, I really like Colin Schooler. I, he's super talented. And then you mentioned the other guys in Merriweather and Jeffers. And the only problem is you, you mentioned it too. There, there's a reason why Colin Schooler has 376 career tackles and it's not, you know, he, he can make those plays, but it's because he's being asked to make those plays too many times. You know, the, the, the guys in front of him aren't getting enough, you know, pressure. They're not plugging up the running lanes and, and running backs are getting to the second level. And that, you know, there's a reason why he has so many stats, but uh, you know, he, he's reliable, but the problem is that he's making these plays three, four five yards down the field. And that, that's the bigger problem. No, it's all, it's all good points. It is. Uh, I just, you know, as, as a unit itself, if I can take it away from the rest of the defense, I just, I think it's pretty darn good. All right. So with, with that in mind, uh, Patrick, did you, did you hint at your number three? Is it Oklahoma state? I have Oklahoma state with Malcolm Rodriguez, Devin Harper there at number two. Uh, I really like them on the second level uh, of that defense, um, you know, and, and they have a pretty good defense overall. Uh, their big problem is I think, uh, the reason why I dropped him down a little bit is because we saw last year how much trouble he they had with Oklahoma with those higher powered offenses. They they did struggle. Some of it was linebacking. Some of it was you know wide receivers being able to run free in in the secondary. Um, they did have their struggles, but I really like their defense, especially at linebacker. So I still think that they're the third best linebacking group in the Big Twelve. Yeah, I have, uh, you know, I have Texas Tech number three, but I struggled between them and Oklahoma State. Um, kind of echoing what Phil said, I, you know, I, you know, I kind of just harped on. There's a reason why Colin Schooler has so many tackles in his career, but he's a reliable tackler. He's going to make those plays, and regardless of where it is on the field, he's going to do it. Um, so I, I agree that this unit as a whole, with the, the three guys we talked about before, it's a really good unit. And, and I, again, I, I'm just basically repeating what you said, but you know, it's the guys in front of them and behind them that are the concern, but you know what you're getting from these three guys. And so that's good. It's just a matter of, can everybody around them step up and play to their potential too? Uh, so as I mentioned, Oklahoma coming up here in just a minute, and I have Oklahoma at three, like I, 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 I the ceiling for Oklahoma is at least number two, potentially. You know, we see what some of these guys do. It could be the best linebacking core. I think Deshaun White's very underrated. Um, I think he's a lot of fun. I think I'm gonna say, Louis. I, nope, nope. Not even. Not even gonna say his last name. Just not gonna. Not even gonna try. Um, <laughs> what a Guaybu? Thank you, Guaybu. You know, sometimes I just I, I can't do it. Sometimes I can't. I I think he, the talent is there. It he just he looks so good, and and I think he could end up being a starter. I think he could overtake both. Asamoah and White this year. Like, I, th- I think that's how good he could be. If Caleb Kelly stays healthy, this is the second best unit and might even fight for being the best. I just, there's a lot more, there's too much if here for me to put them at second. I feel more, I have left less ifs about Texas Tech as far as the unit goes, not as a defense as a whole, but as the unit, than I do Oklahoma. And I think this is like, that's, I know this is, we're talking, we're talking just decimal points here in the difference between two and three. But I, because I, I mean, this is, this is a darn good line. Linebacker is going to be a really good position group in the big 12. They return a lot at this position group. They really do. The top teams bring back a ton of the best players at linebacker from last year. So I think it's going to be a strength in the big 12 with, with linebacker. I mean, then you throw in guys who I'm, I'm interested to see if any of them, starts to take some opportunities to to get on the field with Clayton Smith or Shane Whittier or, or Brendan Walker. Like the talent is absolutely there. That's why I have them third. And again, the difference between two and three here to me is is decimal points. So it's not like I'm like, yes, Texas Tech is superior to Oklahoma in any way. I'm... Yeah, it's uh it's basically what's your favorite flavor of ice cream is kind of how I look at it. Mm-hmm. Um you know and so like we're like we are very similar with our top you know three to four teams yeah mm-hmm. i had texas tech lower uh my next team on my list is going to be baylor why because of terrell bernard because of dylan doyle those two guys i think are one of the best duos in the conference now i don't think they're the best linebacking group because i have a lot of questions like who do they have beyond them? that's my big question where's the depth at baylor's linebacking group now i know 
a Dave Aranda coach defense is going to be very good. Uh, but it, there was a lot of questions as far as where the depth is, but I still think they're so talented that they're my fourth best linebacker crew because of that, that tandem of linebackers. Yeah. I struggled with where to put Baylor. I like Bernard, but I, I have Oklahoma state here at four. Um, I guess I'm just really biased towards Malcolm Rodriguez. I really like his game. I really like what he can do on the field. And I think it's huge that he decided to return for them. Um, you know, there's, you know, we mentioned two through four could be interchangeable, but they're you know, even my next two, I kind of struggle with where do I put them? I think the bottom four are pretty definitive, but I have Oklahoma state here and, and I have no arguments with anybody else that you guys want to put here either. Yeah, Joe, I think, I think you made a good point here. It, it It's two through five that I had the most trouble with. Um, the six, seven, I kind of went back and forth. Eight, nine, ten felt pretty easy. Um, but I really think one, two through five was that those four teams where I think we all have the same four. It just interchanged. Um, I have Baylor here as well. I think I think Bernard is is fantastic. I think he's going to be really good this year. Um, I think Doyle can be really good as well. I mean, he's going to have a full season now, a full off season with Baylor because no team had more issues with COVID than Baylor did. So I, I really think. With a, a tough first year, first time head co- head coach, COVID going on, it was a lot for Doyle to transition from Iowa's defense to Dave Aranda's. I think those two guys are going to be awesome. But I agree, the the Jack linebacker spot for them, Garvin Randolph, um, former defensive in who's moving over, like I, they have a big question mark for that third spot that I just don't know. And I agree, they have probably the best just duo, but. That third spot, I, I have I have to have a huge question marks. And of course, you're right. If one of them goes down, I have no idea. Like I couldn't. I, I looked at some depth charts. I don't. I can't be like, well, I feel confident in any of these guys. I just don't. So, Patrick, I agree with you here. Those two guys put them at four for me. But as a unit, as a whole, man, it's it's a little bit scary after the two of them. Yeah, and you you brought up you know, talking about, you know, the unknown, but also the fact that Baylor's offense, much like Texas Tech offense, took major steps back. So it was almost like they relied too much on the defensive side of the ball, and that's why they couldn't win a lot of games last season, plus the fact they had COVID dealing with that and, you know, everything. But when I move on to number five, and this is kind of like you said, we've all interchanged here. Number five is where I had Texas Tech. Um, I really, like I said, we, I really like Schooler, Merriweather, you know, Rico Jeffers. And, and obviously they have plenty of talent behind them with, with Matthews, with Eldridge, with Randall. Uh, they, I don't know, Texas Tech might have the deepest linebacking group uh, in the conference. Uh, to me, them or Oklahoma, uh, pick one because I think they have the, some of the deepest because they can rotate these guys in and out. And obviously we know what Colin Schooler can do. Um, we saw it. I mean, he even won them a football game for that play he made against Charlie Brewer uh, when they played Baylor in Lubbock. So uh, th- for me, number five, I I felt this was the team I struggled with most. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. I cover Oklahoma for USA Today, uh, but I grew up a Texas Tech guy. So I, I almost slid them down a little just so I didn't seem biased. But, uh, you know, that I think these guys, that trio uh, really – really solid at number five for me. Yeah. I have Baylor here. Um, like I said, the, those three, four, five really are interchangeable for me. So I'm not really mad about where anybody else would want them. <laughs> um, like Phil said, uh, I, I trust in David Randa. I trust what he's doing. Uh, maybe not so much on the offensive side of the ball, but at least I know he knows what he's doing on defense. I mentioned Bernard before uh, he, he's two years removed from uh, 112 tackles season so I, I think that he can get back to that and then you guys mentioned Doyle I, I echoed those same things essentially but yeah the depth again like you guys said a, a little bit of a concern there with some unproven talent behind those two guys but those two guys are out there there's not really much to worry about. Patrick I'm gonna echo something you kind of said of trying to avoid your bias um, I'm not sure if that's what happened or if I because I had a hard time with Oklahoma State but that's who I have here at number five Look, I love Malcolm Rodriguez. I, I do. I am an OSU fan. He's been fantastic. I don't. My my OSU bingo card has Malcolm Rodriguez used to be a wrestler because that gets brought up like every single game. And I like Devin Harper. I mean, you've got two super seniors who are back. Harper, who has been good. 
I almost put OSU. The reason I have OSU behind Baylor is I Baylor has two guys I know are good. With OSU, I know Malcolm Rodriguez is good. Devin Harper is sneaky good, but I actually wonder if Lamont Bishop might jump Harper. Bishop only got into play in two games last year. He got beat up and didn't play the rest of the time. Uh, former Juco guy. I think there's a chance that the Bishop jumps Harper. And Harper, I know, I PFF for what it is, and they had Harper rated above Calvin Bundage. And we all knew who Calvin Bundage was in Big 12 because he was good grief to let him get to your quarterback. There's a lot of youth behind those guys, um, a lot of young guys who haven't seen a lot of the field. So it, there is some question marks if, if you see guys start going down or just if you get issues late in the season. I am curious who's going to take in really those those backup spots. But I think that that trio there of Rodriguez, Harper, and and Bishop is is pretty it's pretty good and should be pretty solid. Um, again, like when your defensive coordinator also coaches your linebackers and your defensive coordinator is pretty good, you'd expect your linebacking corner to be pretty good as well. Yeah, no, I I, I can echo that uh, 100% what you're saying. You know, that's why I struggled with Oklahoma State in three, four, five. You know, it was really in that range, same like, you know, Joe had had or even you. The next two teams for me were my hardest uh, when it came to this. And I put Texas at number six uh, because I really like what Marvy and Overshone became as the season went on, because early on he had trouble with missed tackles. And, you know, I was like, I was wondering, is he going to get it together? Um, you know, with him and if Jawan Mitchell had stayed, I probably would have went higher, but you know, he leaves. There's a lot of question, David Gabenda, Ray Thornton, Jalen Ford, uh, Prince Dorba, uh, you know, O'Daly came out of the transfer portal. Um, there's a lot of questions and a completely new staff. Uh, but when I look at the potential with Overshone and Gabenda, who I have seen on the field, uh, I feel pretty good about Texas linebackers. And that's why I had them ahead of some of these other teams at number six. Uh, but again, much like you said with, you know, Oklahoma State, I got a lot of questions about this Texas linebacking crew but i feel good with the way that overshone showed he can play that will linebacker spot last season yeah i'm a big fan of overshone as well uh i think that he was still growing which is the nice thing i think he's still learning how to play the position uh, but like patrick said he really came on strong at the end of the year uh, and that's because he had the experience now he knows what he's getting into he understands what his role is um but yeah a lot of questions you know i i agree i would have had them maybe pushing Oklahoma for that number two spot if Juwan Mitchell was back, but obviously that loss is, is a big one. Uh, and I think the biggest thing for me too is, yeah, that new coaching staff, like you assume things are going to get better because they weren't going so hot under Tom Herman. So you assume that Steve Sarkeesian is going to be able to turn things around, but I just can't assume that even though I like the potential of Overshow and Gabenda and some of the guys they're getting in the transfer portal, I, I can't just put them up there based on my hope that they're going to be good. I have to see it first. Um, I'm assuming our six and seven teams are the same. It's just a matter of, of order. Cause I have TCU here. Um, like I said, I'll get to Texas in a minute. I, I, I think D winner is pretty good. Um, I, I know, look, I, I never know how to take coach speak. Um, and there are certain coaches that I'm just like, okay, whatever. When Gundy says things, sometimes I'm like, sure, Gundy, whatever you say. A little bit the same way with Patterson. So when he's telling me that he thinks D winners can be better than Garrett Wallow, I'm kind of like, mm, okay. okay. No way. I, I we'll, we'll see about that, Patterson. But I do like D winners a lot. I do. I, do. Um, I have some questions about the other guys, uh, but I am interested to see what Marcel Brooks and, and Joey Hodge look like this year. Obviously, they... They are going to be fighting for that second spot. Neither did a whole lot last year, but it's always hard with transfers during that COVID year to gauge like how much of it is them, how much of it was COVID and no true offseason and not getting to get acclimated to a new team. Everybody was really excited about Brooks from LSU. Um, and I, I kind of like Hodge. I and I I part of it is I trust TCU. I trust TCU. This is to me the biggest question mark on their defense this year as a linebacker. But I, I think Brooks is going to be what we thought he could be now that he's had a full year with the team and a full offseason. Pair him with D winners and, and a position group that's usually pretty good for TCU. So I, I've got them six here because I have, I have, I feel slightly more confident. And I'm not saying, like, I can't sit here and say TCU is better. It's a little bit of a gut call here for TCU at six. 
Yeah, so seven was TCU for me. And for the same reason, I really like the winners. Uh, you look at Jamoy Hodge, you look at Marcel Brooks, Wyatt Harris. I like the potential, but here's my big question. How much pressure, and this is kind of the same thing we had on Texas Tech, how much pressure is going to be on that linebacking crew? Okay, they're having to replace, you know, Garrett Wallow. But also on that back end of that secondary, they don't have our Darius Washington anymore. They don't have Trevon Morick. So how much pressure is going to be on those linebackers to make those plays? And again, we like Marcel Brooks. There's that potential, but can he live up to the potential in year two? But again, I, I do agree with you in that I do trust Patterson when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but again, you know, there's the potential. How likely are they to reach that potential? I have TCU here as well at seven. Um, now there's a reason why Gary Patterson is coaching TCU and I'm not. So whatever <laughs> I just said, you can just throw out, out the window. Yeah. Um, I just think from what I watch, you know, I I'm, I'll echo what both of you have said. I like D winners. I think he's a fantastic player. I like what he can do, but just watching his film, there's a reason why Garrett Walla was the leader of that defense. And it's because he's pointing things out before anybody else on the field even knows. And sometimes he's pointing things out before the offense knows what's going on. So I don't, I just don't know if winners can be that guy. He has the talent to make the plays, but it's going to be the, uh, the film studies, the, that kind of stuff, the tendencies, can he pick that stuff up? Uh, they need obviously someone to replace Wallow, not just production wise, but as a leader and, and someone who can figure out what the offense is going to do before the play starts. I just don't know. That's where my concern is, is can winners be that guy? I know what he can do physically. I know what he can do when the ball is snapped, but what can he do before the play is going? And can he, can he make sure that his guys are in position, not just himself, but can he get other guys in position like Wallow was able to do, and then still also make those plays at the same time. Um, so I have Texas here. Not too surprising. Um, I agree on Overshown. Um, I think he's going to be a stud this year. I, I, I have a hard time projecting, but it wouldn't shock me if he was at the end of the season a, a first-team Big 12 linebacker. Like, I think the the way last year went, if that trajectory continues, I think that's easily there for him. Um, I'm not as confident, you guys, with uh, with uh, Gabenda and, and Orva. Uh, I'm also concerned with the number of transfers Texas has brought in and has brought in some guys where I'm like, people are like, oh, okay. I don't know enough about Ogufo, or how I pronounce it from Notre Dame, People keep talking about him like, this is exciting. And I'm like, everything I look up, I'm like, okay. Ray Thornton from LSU. Um, I, I mean, honestly, Richardson from New Mexico State might be the most exciting one. And even him, I'm like, okay, well, he's probably, he just provides quality depth. I I think this will be a, a good unit. I'm not arguing that. Texas recruits well. There's plenty of guys here. But losing Juwan Mitchell, I think, hurts so much. And I think Overshone is going to be great and is going to be able to do a lot for this unit. I just, I just think I have too many. Like, okay, you got a lot of guys. You got, you got three linebacker spots to fill. I'm not as confident with everybody else outside of Overshone as, as some of you guys are. So I, that's why I have them at seventh. I, I feel better about them than everyone else to the bottom. But I think I got a little bit more space between them and, and TCU than I think, I think you guys do. Yeah, and I think that's that's a fair to go because you have a proven commodity in Overshone. It's the other guys that you're like, I got way too many questions uh, about these guys. I, I can buy into that. Number eight for me, eight and nine I struggled with. Uh, I think we're probably all going to agree on number 10. Uh, but eight, I went with Kansas State there. And for me, Cody Fletcher, Daniel Green, yeah, I know they don't have the guys that they had last year. And Justin Hughes, Elijah Sullivan. So they're pretty green. Uh, but I, I feel fairly confident with Kansas State because of, what they do defensively yeah eight nine and ten were really tough just because it's like well there's a couple guys that are decent but there's not anybody that's like a proven star um so i also have kansas state at number eight uh, basically the same reasons you know cody fletcher and daniel green we know kind of what we're getting out of that but yeah like like patrick said everybody else is pretty much a new face still learning how to play the position and just relatively inexperienced. So I don't know it, you can honestly make these three teams go any order really for me. And I don't really have any arguments against that. Patrick, we are not all going to have the same 10th place team. Are you going to um, put Kansas eighth? No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, West Virginia. I have eighth. Um, I like 
Josh Chandler Smito. I don't know how I feel about him moving from his will position into inside into the mic um, to fill Tony Field's shoes. I don't know how I feel about that, but I do like him a lot. Uh, he is, his spot will be taken by, um, I think it's X-Ray Low, if I'm pronouncing that right. I like, I like him. I have a big question about their third spot. I think that's what they call the bandit. Um, seeming like it might go to Vandarius Cohen. Um, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. If he does... I think this this won't be as good as last year's linebacking unit, but if if Cohen stays healthy, it can be it can be good. Um, I don't. I have a uh, beyond those three. I I got nothing. Um, that none of these three guys are. I don't think Smito is as good as any of the best players we've talked about for anybody else. Is the biggest reason why I have West Virginia eighth. I feel more confident in them than the bottom two, though. Like for me, I have them eight. I have them closer to Texas at seven than I do any the the bottom two. Who I yeah, you you know which those two are going to be. Yeah, when I when I looked at number nine, it was West Virginia for me. And my big question was kind of like you: you you're moving Tomato inside rather than playing the wheel, but then you have Extra Low, who I'm not a hundred percent sure on uh, playing that will linebacker spot and then beyond them it's kind of like when you look at the depth it's like again you're like you're banking on these two guys but who do you have behind that how's the depth on there i i really don't know and i think losing tony fields is going to be a lot bigger uh than a lot of people think it's going to be uh because he was uh he was a top target in the transfer portal last year uh heading into the season and so when i look at them yeah i like it's like you i like tomato but I've got a lot of questions about Lowe and the rest of the linebackers. I think Tony Fields covered up a lot of um, deficiencies at this level. Uh, so I think that that's going to get exposed a little bit more. Uh, you know, they had six guys going into the spring at linebacker. So they were obviously hurting for depth. Uh, and then I read they even converted uh, the Washington from wide receiver to linebacker. Not the transition that I would have um, foreseen, but you know, hey, whatever. You know, guys, guys are huge at wide receiver too, so they can they can make that transition if they're athletic enough, I guess. But uh, yeah, I agree. I, I'm not sure what we're gonna get. I think with here, and I could have flipped them and the next team, um, and it's just tough because they don't have a proven guy like Fields anymore, and they also don't have the depth, so. That makes things a little bit concerning for me. Okay, at nine, I have Kansas. Um, and it's because of Kyron Johnson. Uh, I He is enough of an edge for me for Kansas to be a, a, at nine over 10th, which is why I said we're not going to have the same 10-place team. Um, now, look, outside of that, like, okay, Gavin Potter's fine. Um, Rich Miller transferring over from Buffalo will be helpful like it's not going to be a great unit. It's not. It may not be a very good unit, um, and Kyron Johnson might just be good because he's just better than a, the rest of a, a bad defense. But he at least was enough for me to put Kansas at eight and not not in last place, or in ninth. Sorry, and not in last place. Well, I went obviously with Kansas at dead last because well, it's Kansas. Um, you know, I'm just going to be honest. The I mean, best excuse up, in college football. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's Kansas. You didn't even win a football game last year. Uh, no, I, I like Kyron Johnson. And uh, like you, I'm, I'm looking around going, okay, yeah, the, the guys are, the rest of them are okay. Uh, but, you know, when I looked, I just didn't think that they had enough to overtake my number nine spot, uh, considering, you know, the, you know, how good Samito was. I mean, he wasn't great, but he was good. Um, so I just wasn't enough to overcome them. So that's, and, you know, somebody's got to be dead last. And man, for me, it's Kansas. I also have Kansas here. Uh, I just think that while, you know, Kyron Johnson, I, I like Gavin Potter, but I just think that the, the gap between them and the rest of the conference is just so much right now. And, you know, if I was going to put them up at ninth, it's because of Lance Leipold. I, I'm a firm believer that he's going to be able to turn things around here at Kansas. Well, you know, it's not going to probably be this year, but, but I think eventually he gets them to be a little bit better than they have been. Um, maybe, maybe they never get better. I don't know. But the fact that I can use it's Kansas as an excuse, at least one more year, I'm going to take it while I can. Um, but I think that things will get a little bit better. And I just think the gap right now between them and the rest of the conference is just too great to move them up any higher. So obviously I have Kansas state last guys. I, I, I They lost two really good linebackers and now they have 
what? Like uh, Daniel Green was a former five, a four star, and that's great. He's been four years in the program. He's never been better than just a nice backup for them. Like he's never been able to take a top spot. Now he's gonna get one by default. Um, Cody Fletcher is a super senior. That's great. He's a nice linebacker. Uh, they brought in Eric Munoz from Utah State. I'm like, okay. I, I just I don't I don't know. My problem with Kansas State is I'm not sure they're the worst linebacking core in the Big Twelve. They're just the one where I I feel like I don't have a good answer for like okay what's how what is this unit really gonna be like it could be good I I just I have a hard time seeing Kansas State being the worst linebacking group but at the same time I'm like I don't I there's nobody I have just confidence in like if you told me this unit was the worst in the Big Twelve I'd be like all right if you told me they were the fifth they were sixth or seventh or eighth or Ninth in the Big 12, they'd be like, okay, well, cool. Somebody popped. Daniel Green turned into what he was recruited to be. Like, But other than that, I just I just don't know with this unit at all. I, I And that's the problem I have is I have more confidence in Kyron Johnson at Kansas, which is why I have them at nine, than I have in anybody at Kansas State. Maybe Cody Fletcher, but I just I, I just I have no answers for them here. How the mighty have fallen with Kansas State in defense, right? I mean, we all had them in the bottom three. Uh, in defense. So, I mean, or at least at the linebacker position. And it, that's shocking, but at the same time, we saw how uh, they fluttered towards the end of the season uh, last year. So, I mean, I, I, I can I can agree with any order that we came up with because I think we had a lot of the same, same teams interchangeable at the top, middle, and then on the back end. Uh, but I'm hoping for a – a good season from the linebackers in the big 12. I think there's a lot of guys to, to pay attention to. And I think there's several guys that we could be watching, uh, you know, on Sundays uh, in 2022. Before we wrap this up, let's do, I'm going to do this real quick. Not who's the best, not who's first team, second team. Who is your, each of you, who is your breakout linebacker in the big 12? There's one guy you're like, that's a guy we're going to talk about a lot. That's a guy who might just be first team by the end of the year. If everyone's not just paying attention to, every year like who is your breakout linebacker for the big 12 this year yeah i think i alluded to it earlier but i'm going to go with uh david Aguay, oklahoma i think he's a guy we talked about the ceiling we talked about what he can do we've seen some of the special teams plays that he can make can he put it all together and that's what i'm banking on so give me david guaybu as my breakout linebacker in the big 12 uh, by season's end I'm going to go with the Marvin Overshone. I think that while he's good, I think that he can reach another level. I mentioned before, he really is still learning the position. So I think that fact that he has a full year of experience under his belt now, and he's heading into a, a season with a new coaching staff and he has, you know, the physical tools that he has a lot of people don't at his position. So I think that gives him another edge. So if he can combine both his physical traits with his play, I think he's, a guy that we'll be talking about a lot when the season's over. I'm going to say overshone too, but just so that we're not the same here, just to, to mix things up. Um, Cause that's who I would lean with. I'm going to go with, with schooler. I'm pretty high on him this year. Um, I think he's going to be asked to do a lot. I think he's going to be up to the task to be able to, um, we've seen him make game winning plays for Texas tech last year. I'm, I think after a, a full year playing with the team, a full regular off season, if he stays healthy all year, I think he's a guy that, that's really going to have a breakout year in the Big 12 this year. All right. Guys, it's been awesome. This is fun. I love doing this stuff. Uh, Patrick, thank you for joining us. Uh, it was perfect time to have you as a first-time guest here breaking down linebackers. Do me a favor. Um, you do a great job covering the Sooners, but where can everybody find the work that you do? Uh, yeah, definitely go to Soonerswire.usatoday.com to check out all of our coverage year-round on the Oklahoma Sooners, and you can always find me on twitter at pat sports guy all right joe where can everybody out check out the work you do covering that college football uh you can find it at six year sports uh and then you can find me at joe broback on twitter and for everybody who doesn't know joe put out his 2021 college football preview it's massive it's awesome uh, if you go check him out on twitter it's pinned there to the top i would suggest you go check it out download that pdf comb through i mean look there's so many good college football previews um, and Joe, I'm, I'm really happy to, to have yours added to my, my, uh, my off-season research arsenal. Hey, I appreciate that. Guys, this has been fun. It's been a blast. I appreciate both of you. Uh, and I hope to have you both back on the show again soon. Anytime, man.
Social Podcast Network.